Coming to you from the outskirts of the greatest territory in wrestling history, Memphis, Tennessee. It's Wrestling Talk with Mayor McCall, and I'm your host, Willie B. And here to tell you about today's guest is the founder, promoter, and CEO of Wrestling Talk. He's the Mark of Marks, the Wrangler of Ringrats, and the unofficial president of the Brian Christopher Fan Club. Ladies and gentlemen, Mayor McCall. Willie B., I've done it again. I've pulled another rabbit out of the hat. This time, I've got a Memphis wrestling legend. He started with Jarrett Promotions in 1981 as a booker, a promoter, a commentator. He's an author. He's a podcast host. He was the USWA general manager. He was the owner, the founder, and president of Power Pro Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, Randy Hales. With an introduction like that, we might as well just wrap this thing up and go <laughs> home. I appreciate that. I appreciate that very much. This podcast will be like my booking philosophy. Expect the unexpected. We'll get the unexpected. We'll start with the unexpected because I will correct you a little bit with that 1981 stuff. And because I was around technically longer than that, I became a wrestling fan and started selling merchandise when I was for wrestling every Saturday night, my hometown of Jonesboro, Arkansas, in 1971. Oh, wow. I started then announcing in Jonesboro, Arkansas, my hometown, the American Legion Arena, every Saturday night started announcing when I was a freshman in high school in 1977. I started going to the Memphis matches, a kind of assistant to Lance Russell, in 1981, 1981, and then I full time in the office as assistant booker, then worked myself up to the owner, the founder of the president. You might be the owner, founder, and president of this podcast, but I'm the owner, founder, and president of Power Pro Wrestling. So there you go. Well, that's a great, great introduction, great, great uh, correction there. We we, apolog- we apologize. I, speaking of Lance Russell. So how did how did that how did the opportunity come to be able to sit beside him and commentate at, at the Mid South Coliseum? Well, you have to back up a little more than that. From day one, Eddie Marlin liked me, and Eddie Marlin, the son-in-law, uh, the father-in-law of Jerry Jarrett, the promoter, and Eddie ran Tupelo, Mississippi, every Friday night, and Jonesboro every Saturday, and then in Jonesboro, I'd go to the matches, and I would sell. Not on any kind of merchandise, but I would, Eddie said, the best merchandise seller that he ever had. And so he liked me from day day one because I made him money, and he liked that. Hey, and Randy, so he if I'm not mistaken, like, you got five cents per picture when you sold one of those, correct? Absolutely. You must have read that damn book. I, I read the damn thing. <laughs> All right. Yeah, he got five cents a picture, and... So my friend's dad was the chairman of the wrestling committee for the American Legion, and I'll have a picture of me, a young me, a younger Eddie, and my friend Randy Wade. Uh, it was just cool going to the matches. And, and then in the start of 1981, I started just going to the matches, and he said, why don't you set by Lance? And at first, Lance would say, hey, uh, instead of Mr. Coffee calling out the time, five minutes past, ten minutes to wrestle, eleven minutes past, four minutes to wrestle, forty-five seconds, thirty seconds, ten seconds, nine seconds, four, three, two, one. I did that, and then he he said, "Let's alternate here." And he would usually do the first match, 
I would do the second, he'd do the third, I'd do the fourth, uh, and say, say there's eight matches, he'd do the fifth. Uh, well, well, if there's eight matches, he would always do the last two. Then, when he was not there, sick or whatever, on vacation, I would do the whole show. And also on Monday nights at the Mid-South Coliseum, we did our promos for the out-of-town markets for Louisville, for Evansville, for Nashville, for Tupelo, for Jackson, Tennessee. So you would do a two-minute babyface interview, a two-minute hill interview, then one minute just solo with the announcer listing the card and listing the, the spot show. So so Lance and I became big friends. He left in 89. I quit pretty soon after. I got came back in 93, and one of the coups that I had uh, was in March of 94. I brought Lance back for the first time on Memphis TV in five years. He swore and his wife swore that he would never work for Jerry Jarrett again at the time. There was bad, bad feelings. And so I had to go, I had to go to Lance's house and talking Lance into it wasn't a big deal. Talking Lance's wife into it was a big deal. <laughs> I mean, a big, big deal. So I had to get Lawler to call Lance and tell Lance, hey, Jerry Jarrett is working for WWF up in New York and he has not been any in any town, any TVs, anything since October '93. So, so you're good," said Randy's booking. Or uh, at that point, he was booked. Randy's booking this this show because I got the book because of the success of Monday Night Memories on March the seventh. But anyway, I remember that one. I remember that one. Yeah, I did nine thousand people, and it was a great thing. The debut night of of the Memphis Wrestling Hall of Fame yep, that I created. Yep. Yeah, just a great night. Were you there by any chance? I was not, but I remember it from seeing the uh, the highlights on Channel 5. So uh, I remember, I distinctly remember those. So, yeah. If you were going to tell me, if you were going to tell me you weren't born in 94, I was going to hang down. No, I, uh, the mayor and I were both over 40. So we were, we were okay. you know, when you were with USWA, that was, that was our prime time and, um, you know, elementary and junior high school and early high school years. So that was our, that's our core memories of wrestling is, is your time. Uh, really power pro especially was, was big for us. So I'll finish that story. So I made the deal with Lance, did the TV on March the 5th. It was absolutely amazing. Just, he was fantastic and really added to it. And then the next couple of years he added, He's just so good. He's the best there's ever been. It's just the chemistry between him and Lance. The whole thing was great because we wouldn't have – I solely believe this. Even though we had, had Idol and we had Bay and we had had a, a Terry Funk and the Gilberts and Frank, just a loaded card, it would have done good, but it would have not done that good without two things. The Jimmy Hart song that he wrote for me and the video Randy West, my – our production guy put together Monday Night Memories was fantastic, fantastic, and that put us over the top. But anyway, back to the the story. So we did the TV on Saturday. Well, Waller calls me on Sunday and said, "Well, issue." I said, "What's that issue?" 
Well, Jerry Jarrett has called mad. I said, I guess he's mad that Lance uh, is on the show. He said, no, he was impressed that you got him to do it. He said he was mad that that uh, you didn't uh, didn't ask him to come to the show. I said, he's living in New York. He said, oh, he comes home for the weekend. And, and he said, so here's the deal. I told him to come, but he said, said, I know your deal with Lance because Lawler got on the phone with Lance and told him he assured him he wasn't going to be there. He said, I don't want you to look like you're lying to Lance to con him into getting here. Then, then Jerry Jarrett then all of a sudden's there and Lance is shocked. And, and then all of a sudden he walks out. He said, we can't have that. We got to deal with it quickly. I said, well, I'll call him. He said, no. He said, it's on me. He said, I'll call him. And so he can smooth any, anybody over with any anything and he smoothed them over and after that they talked that night and got along and then later on i wouldn't say they ever got to be buddies but the bad feelings went away so that's good on both of their parts and I, i'm not sure about mayor mccall here but i wasn't i actually just became aware of there was hard feelings between lance and jerry after listening to jeff's podcast um i, I didn't I, I was never aware that they had uh, any hard feelings whatsoever so that's um that's that's a a lot to take in. So you didn't know you didn't know Lance and Jerry Jarrett. I, oh. I wasn't aware that Lance and Jerry Jarrett had heat. I was not aware of that. I just knew that Lance, back in '89, had left to go to WCW or the NWA, whichever it was at the time. Uh, but I, I just wasn't uh, aware that there was heat between the two. You know that Jeff and Jerry were were, I mean, a big time. Split up yes, for, yes. for many years, but thank thank goodness after Jeff's treatment and and all the the deals that he did, and part of treatment is make amends, and, and he did, and and uh, he and his dad got back close ag- again. It's just one of the sad things in life that I probably uh, can't say. Jerry Jarrett uh, had had issues for a long period of time with Lance Russell. He had issues for. For a long period of time, I mean, his oldest son Jerry Jr. Uh, I don't think anybody in the family had seen him in years. Uh, never reconciled with him. He uh, had issues with uh, with Jeff. That thank God was was they were reconciled. Then he had issues with his younger son uh, Jason that he never reconciled with, and and also. I heard from uh, Jason, uh, his youngest son, that he had a uh, breakup, a split up with with his daughter Jennifer. So that's every one of his kids that he went a long period of time without talking to. And that's just a sad situation, plus the fact uh, that I've had two or three different, different times. But... Uh, this is not a not Jerry Jarrett type of podcast. It's part of life. It really is. It's a sad situation, and uh, and I feel bad now that I had a falling out with Jerry Jarrett a couple of different times. I left in '89 because of it. The only reason I would have never got back in the wrestling business if he didn't go to New York. Uh, so I to work for Vince, and that that goes and to Waller asked. Brought me in. And that goes to one of the questions. I'm sorry, one of the questions we had was 
what caused you to leave in 1989 and then come back in 93? We, I was, I, I don't know that I've ever heard your story as to why, uh, why you left. I was mad at Jerry Jarrett. I didn't, the pay wasn't right. Um, I didn't, there's a bunch, bunch of reasons. I was, I was burned out some, somewhat, and I didn't think this a, at the time, but I wasn't very good. I was young, just wasn't very, very uh, good, and he had just started uh, going to Texas, and I felt that he, and I understand now at the time he felt the wrestling business was changing and territories were going down and he thought that he had the end to major merchandise money with the syndication from world-class wrestling so he was trying so to compete I with vince take, he was still he was, he was still trying to compete with vince at that point with the expansion he was trying to he was he was trying to survive survive okay he was he, he was trying to survive, absolutely, and he thought getting that TV revenue thing because he was a visionary at that 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 same same thing. You, you know, all that thing. It wasn't wasn't a good time period for me and, and the territory. It just wasn't a good good time period. I, I think no matter what, I think the the best bet was me just go away and then Lawler called me to come back and when Jarrett went away in 93 and, and then that led into Power Pro that led, led into everything again I, I don't want to make be this uh, anti-Jerry Jarrett thing just explaining because I try on my show and on any show that I guess I, I try to be totally Austin or honest with everybody and I believe that the flaw that Jerry Jarrett had holding grudges, boy, I was born with it. My my dad kind of did. I lost my dad. Uh, not a funny story, but just a true story. When I started come, going in 1981 in January to the Memphis Mid-South Coliseum matches, my dad, I had found out, had cancer. And, and so he was home. He had a hospital bed, and he was going to go to a Little Rock Hospital by ambulance the next day. Well, that Monday night, the main event, February the 9th, 1989, was Jerry Lawler and against Hulk Hogan. Hogan coming back, and that was a marquee match. And I told my mother, I said, no, Daddy's going to Little Rock tomorrow, and I got college, and uh, so I won't see him to the weekend, so I, I'm going to just stay home tonight. He said, no, you've been talking about that match for a month. Go. And so he died as I was on my way back home to, to Jonesboro Man. as well. But the bottom line is that, uh, you know, one of the, the, the things that Jerry Jarrett had is that he, he held grudges and the grudges were held against, against him. And I have, I have that, that issue as well. And, and I just hate for the, the fact, which is life is, is too short, to hold grudges for for anything and now it's too late yeah i remind the fans you know we we lost jerry jared back in back in february um he, he passed away so um day february the 14th february 14th valentine's day yeah yeah the um i i saw some of the the, the of the funeral um on on youtube i saw where where dave spoke and dave brown spoke as well as jeff so that was a very very touching tribute by both men 
And so, um, yeah, from Jonesboro, Brandon Baxter went. I did not go. First of all, main reason I had a doctor's appointment that was going to be a pain to reschedule, and I needed to have that. And glad I glad I did because something was discovered that I need to handle that I have handled in the process of handling. Uh, so I did not go, but I've, I've talked to Brandon, and Brandon's glad he went. Brandon and Jeff became real, real close. So, so Brandon went from Jonesboro that Tuesday morning. No, I think the funeral was either Monday morning or Tuesday morning. I, I don't really remember, but he did go to the funeral. Okay, and, and again, again, Randy, you know we. You know, here at Wrestling Talk with Mayor McCall, uh, you know, Willie being the mayor, we we strive to do the same thing as you do, and that's, you know, keep Memphis wrestling alive, keep keeping old school alive, keeping the memories alive. Uh, definitely not a podcast to knock anybody, but definitely want to say thank you for your, you know, your transparency on the on the situation and, and, and everything like that. So thank you for that. You know, I, I think, and it's not meant to be a knock or, or negative, what is meant to be a almost a, a preaching you call me preacher randy type of thing it, it's to be a teaching moment to everybody listen i'm talking to you if you have issues with your kids if you have issues with your parents your brother or sister or whatever life's too short Amen. and you will regret it if it's too late before you make up did you really are you really were and you know in every situation the situation with Lance, the situation with all the Jerry's kids, the situation with me. In every situation, you know, there's there's guilt to go around with everybody. In every case, with every split up, every breakup, there's there's guilt to, to go along. So I'm certainly not saying that Jerry Jarrett is a evil person. I'm saying he was a hard-headed person, and I'm sure that he died with regrets you know and a lot of a lot of times the the qualities we have in life that make us great at what we do are also can also be the qualities that we have that are that are our detriment and so maybe his stubbornness and hard-headedness is what made him so successful in the wrestling business and made memphis wrestling what it was um but also you know may at the same time as you as you said maybe hitting you know it, it, it carried over to his personal life and 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 that is that is that's just it's, it's sad it, it really is it, it's sad and you know, I, I agree with you 100%. That that's a good, it's a good teaching moment that, that we're not, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And, and maybe, maybe that's a wake up call to people that if you have a, a loved one that you have, you know, that you're on the outs with and you think, oh, I'll just get to it later. Well, there may not be a later. So maybe it's something, it's time to think about making those mends. Let's kind of switch around this and throw stuff at me is because I kind of, brought us down but again that's the last five minutes is going to be my favorite part of this podcast i'm telling you right there because i think i think we did good i think explaining and you guys reacted to it uh, good i think it's a lesson to everybody but there's a lot of history and i've been around again watching wrestling i remember channel 13 i don't know if you remember those days or not and i would ima- i would imagine that you don't remember well left- uh, we were i was born in 1982. <laughs> so, so it left channel 13 the last saturday of february of 1977 first saturday of uh of march they started at wmc tv and 
And that, now I'm mad at you a little bit because you just said y'all were both, boy, you guys both were born in 1982. That gum I was out of freaking high school by 1980. <laughs> Willie, Willie B was born in 82. The mayor the mayor came like a little bit sooner than that. I, I had a ringside seat uh, sooner than Willie B. I was born in 1981. <laughs> So forty one and forty two. That's that's our age. That's our age range. That 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 makes me sick. We should hang up this thing. <laughs> so uh, but, the year you know, I, that's I've why seen I'm, a lot of stuff. I'm always pre- well. Speaking of, I'm I'm appreciative of the fact that I was born in 1982, and that's the that's the big year of the Kaufman feud. What what are your with Lawler? What are your memories of that? It was it was just so unique, so good I and mean, it just was from interviews down and and it, basically the agreement was that he would wrestle with women and that was the deal and he did wrestle women but Waller and Jarrett both but Waller especially Waller I can get involved in this because Waller was the money you know when you say it's probably the most, and I'm a little sensitive about this because so much, and I can tell you uh, my list of things I enjoyed more than anything or things that, that just did unbelievable business, and that's not in my top ten. It really not. When I, But if somebody asked me what is the most uh, famous moment in Memphis wrestling history, I would say that. But as far as my favorite memories are the one that drew the most money, you know, Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler did not ever sell out the Mid-South Coliseum. Not once. Not one time. Interesting. So, you know, it's out there. And, you know, an interesting thing is because I was was asking you earlier trying to get a time frame of what you guys seen. The best year in attendance ever of wrestling at the Memphis Mid-South Coliseum is 1974. So that goes um, that goes way, way back. As, uh, so who, who were, remind the fans exactly who was headlining seven, those matches? 74 type of thing and I am they they had, had started the Road to the gold, and now I'm trying to walk around here. As a, I'm not, I'm gonna come across. So I'm gonna smarten everybody up right now. They'll think, man, that Randy Hills is is just throwing dates. I I just grabbed my Memphis Wrestling History book by Mark Jane that I use on my show for uh, for research research and and, uh, and and I do a, a lot of research but are, you, are you guys familiar with, with that when when they they brought and, and you can elaborate on this because I, I am am looking for this this information now and so I, I, can, I can read you some some stuff but are you familiar with that I think it's Gary Jarrett's most brilliant thing, the road for the gold. He switched because Memphis was always attacking territory in 1974 on the back of Lawler. Well, and that's the question I was going to, one of the questions we wanted to ask you was, 
If are you are you leading up to the May May ninth, nineteen eighty eight, to the AWA title? That's what ended up, but that wasn't the plan. They that wasn't the plan. The plan when they kind of started building for that was for the NWA title. It ended up they couldn't get that done. So, uh, so the basically the road to the the uh, the gold was started in seventy four, and the hope was uh, uh, was to. Uh, to the hope was to switch uh, switch the the title or the some way or another the NWA title uh, to Lawler. I'll just give you uh, uh, a couple of things. On March the eighteenth, nineteen seventy four, they were going with the blood feud between Jackie Fargo and Jerry Lawler, and that drew ten thousand eight hundred ninety four. Uh, for and what's uh, what's the sell sellout of the Coliseum, Randy? Is it around eleven, eleven five, or was that almost a sellout? On, it it no a sellout depending on if the fire marshal was there. <laughs> uh, minimum it was a, minimum was eleven three record with eleven. Hey Lawler, uh, Lawler uh, also wrestled Roughhouse Fargo after. Hurting uh, Lawler, uh, hurt, hurting Fargo. Then he beat beat him, and and you know they they got got up to to May, uh, just Lawler and and uh, and different uh, people. Then um, in May '74, they started a program with Lawler and Robert Gibson's brother Ricky Gibson. They had fantastic matches. Uh, they started off the the program doing 9,200 people on May, uh, May the 27th. Then on June the the third, it was Gibson against Lawler, beat Lawler to win the Southern title. With Jackie Fargo was the special referee that drew a sellout of 11,332 people. Then the next week was the return match Lawler against Ricky. Gibson, the fire marshal didn't show up, boys. <laughs> eleven thousand, eleven thousand six twenty uh, nine. The next week was a Jackie Fargo Waller match. Did eleven thousand six hundred and forty two. The next week it was Fargo Waller again. Did eleven thousand seven hundred thirty eight people. The next week, July the first, nineteen seventy four, Fargo. And Lawler again did eleven thousand four hundred and seven. July of the eighth, Lawler and Fargo again did ten thousand six hundred dollars. Uh, ten thousand six hundred people on the fourth of July weekend. The holiday weekends are tough, but they rebounded. The next week, July the fifteenth, nineteen seventy-four, they drew eleven thousand seven hundred people. But this time, they they had blown off the Waller Fargo program for a little bit. Waller against the Sheik, eleven thousand seven hundred sellout. The next week, ten thousand six hundred people dropped a little bit. Waller and Bobo uh, Brazil, July twenty ninth, ten thousand two hundred thirty people. 
Mr. Wrestling 2 and uh, Lawler. 11,000 people August the 5th with Lawler and Bobo Brazil. Then it did 11,600 on August the 12th, Lawler and Dick the Bruiser, just a couple uh, more. Lawler and Robert Fuller dropped to 8,800, the lowest half in a while. But then the next week, they are you guys familiar with Rufus R. Jones? I'm not. I am not either, Randy. Yeah, just kind of Google that or YouTube that. And he was a, a good talker, and they would bring him in. It did 10,776 people. And and then the next week, they went with Robert Fuller and, and Lawler again. And that drew 10,300. The week after that, it was Lawler and Jerry Briscoe did 10,000. Uh, and it's funny, and it kind of proves... Like personal issues, like you heard the business Ricky Gibson and Lawler was doing, and Lawler and Vargo was doing, and they built for this September the 16th, 74 world title match. This is kind of deceiving. It just drew 10,125 people for Lawler against Jack Briscoe, but back in, in those times, they Big time, man, raised the prices, big time. So it was the, the largest But to put it perspective, But to put it in perspective, back in those days, it sounds like you were having, we were having regular 9,000 plus sellout, or not sellouts, but 9,000 plus people showing up to Mid-South Coliseum or wherever they were holding the, the matches. And that that's, that's week, very impressive. Man. That's impressive. Every, every week, and just to give you, to educate, you guys and everybody else, I'll read this card completely, and this is a year before Dundee ever arrived. The first match was George Goulas beat Jim Lancaster. Second match, Robert Fuller beat Dennis Hall. Third match was the great former six-time NWA world champion. Have you ever heard of him? Luthez. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Luthez Press. Went to a 15-minute draw against Don Green. And then the fabulous Jackie Fargo and Tojo Yamamoto beat the Bounty Hunters. Then a Southern Tag Team Championship match. It was Al Green and Phil Hickerson, no contest, with Eddie Marlin and Tommy Gilbert. And the final match, Jack Briscoe defeated Jerry Lawler by a disqualification. They missed a week because of the, the fair. They uh came back this is interesting i said i lied i said it was the last time but i just want to educate here and and my, just attendance wise this blew everything out so i'll i'll tell you the main event the, the two semifinal matches september the 30th 1974 the fifth match of the night was jerry lawler against jerry briscoe in the sixth match, the main event was a handicap match. Two underneath heels, Charlie Fulton and Bobby against the debut Andre the Giant. Oh, wow. It did 1,300 people in September after the fair when the money's uh, drained. It's just 
absolutely goes to show you just what an incredible attraction that Andre the Giant was. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. One of the things I like telling uh, people that kind of blow their mind, I use this on my show, if, if you have good facts and if you have a good story, what does it matter that you told and, and by the way, Randy, please feel welcome to plug your show. We want our listeners to, to, to that haven't listened to you to, uh, to to find you on YouTube or wherever they can find your podcast. Be, be, feel free to, to share that. Okay, before we get out of here, we'll certainly do this. This is the thing that I use, the story that I, I use. I want to take you guys back to 1974 and tell you at least you have you have a little unfair advantage because because i just read you um the attendance for uh 19 uh july of 1974 but if i would ask you this question more if i say hey guys you take new york city you take madison square garden july of 1974 then you take Memphis, Tennessee. Who watched wrestling? More who who had more people pay wrestling tickets uh, to see wrestling that month? Was it was it the WWF at Madison Square Garden, or was it the Mid South Coliseum in Memphis? And common sense, knowing the population of New York City, would say absolutely they drew more people. Well, that's a crazy question. That's a dumb question. They drew more, more money, more or more, uh, more fame, paying fans in New York, without a doubt. And that's a false. That's a false thing. There was more tickets sold in Memphis. But here's the catch: there. the catch is Madison Square Garden ran one time. There was five Monday nights in the month of July. So. Memphis ran five times, but Memphis did, in fact, sell more tickets. Isn't that just tremendous? Absolutely, and the Madison Square Garden ha- held the uh, held the potential to to have the capacity of twenty thousand fans. And yeah, you know, we just sure. discovered with you that you know learned something new that uh, depending you know if the fire marshal showed up or not at the Mid South Coliseum, what the gate was going to be that night. So definitely, uh, definitely a good vast you know comparison right there and i pretty much knew you were going to say memphis the way you know you and i and, and willie b we we represent the memphis territory so i, I knew it was going to be memphis but de- definitely a very interesting you know statistic there with 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 madison square garden having the you know capability to have twenty thousand people on a given night and it was also real interesting that you had bubble brazil you had had uh, later on, or maybe earlier on, you had Victor Bruiser. You had had the Sheik. You had had so many people come in in the territory, and it's it's just absolutely phenomenal that the talent came in. That it's actually phenomenal that when we looked at at the most tickets sold, it was Ricky Gibson. Then it's Jackie Fargo. It was local stuff. So they did a combination of the personal issues, draw money, local talent, combined with bringing in stars from time to, to time. It's just a cool, cool deal. And then that towards the end of 74, uh, they switched Waller Babyface for the first time, but that didn't last a long period of time. His his first at length babyface 
uh, turn happened in uh, 77, into 77 to 70, uh, 79 and switched hills. Then he um, broke his leg. He came back as a baby race, and that was the extended run as well. Uh, Jack, Jackie and the Memphis boys could have told New York City, often imitated, never duplicated. Watch how we do it, fellas. Yeah, and that Fargo. Fargo was my, is who hooked me in wrestling. The Mid-South Coliseum, well, the history of Memphis, that they they started, they, for years, from in the 50s, started on Monday night. It was a Monday night town, and it was Alice Auditorium, which is now where Cook Convention Center or the Memphis Convention Center is now oh, wow. in Memphis uh, every Monday night. Well, they had had something that they were doing a a, a remodel, so they did, they went ahead and gambled and went into the Coliseum for a short term deal that ended up lasting twenty five years because it was so successful. But they they debuted at the Mid South Coliseum. I believe I'm correct on this date, June of 1971. They went a uh, that first year for, uh, from from June of 71 to July of 72. They sell, sold out the Mid-South Coliseum for the very first time. Now, a sellout that first time was 10,500 people. But when they saw that they could do that, at that point, Every seat was full, but they added risers and bleachers and different people, different seating to get the capacity up to to like eleven three. But the the Lawler, I'm not the Jackie Fargo Al Green hair versus hair match again. One of JJ's most brilliant deals, and it sold out the first sellout at the Mid Coliseum. Hair versus hair. It's on YouTube. If you take a look at it, Waller Al Green Air Force Tear of 1972. I watch that every once in a while, man, because it just proves how different the business is now. And today, the modern wrestling fan were saying, what the hell? But less than 10,200 people go crazy on every punch. Uh, simple finishes every time, and the main event was two out of three-fall matches is just phenomenal. So that's what I request not only you two guys to do, Willie and the mayor here, to research that and look at that match. It's a two-part deal on YouTube. Watch that. But I certainly would love for your audience, your fan base, to find that out. Jackie Fargo, Al Green, Hair versus Hair, 1974. Or 1972. All right. So, would you consider those years, the 70s, leading into the 80s, the golden years of Memphis wrestling? I think Lawler's debut with Jim White started in 73. I think 73, 74 attendance-wise, just great, just fantastic. 75, that gum good year, too. Uh, with Lawler was banished uh, for a little bit. Jerry Jett had fired him after all that business. He didn't screw around. I mean, Lawler tried to be 
you know, Lawler just didn't make it down, and Lawler and Jerry Jarrett got rid of it. But they brought Ron Fuller in, the Mongolian Stomper in for the first time, a guy named Magnificent Zulu that's the worst wrestler I've ever seen, but drew a <laughs> ton of money. Horrible worker, drew a ton of money, like four or five straight sellouts of 11,000 people. Fire Marshal didn't show up, but anyway, <laughs> Damn it. several in a row. But the people smartened up to him. The people smartened up to him that he was horrible. And so, man, they turned on him bigger than, than anything. And then eventually he was putting Al Green over in the in the opening match of the Mid-South Coliseum. No more made of sense to him. 76 was good. 77 was was Jerry Jarrett start of Jarrett promotion starting in March, and it was the best extended program that hell. It wouldn't surprise me if I if I read something tomorrow that this weekend there's a Waller Dundee match. You know, I'm no, I know that's not going to happen right right now, but at the same time, Dundee Waller in '77 was great. Hey, '81 with. Year was '74 because I was a kid watching wrestling, and uh, the early '70s maybe broaden it a little bit. But you have to when you look at Lawler's comeback in '81 from the broken leg, that was great. '82 was great, not just because of Kaufman, but because of of the Lawler Dutch program was great. Because of the birth of the fabulous one was great. There was so much happened in '82, '83 was Lawler took over the book and, and then Dundee ended up leaving dropping the loser in town match. 83 was the best money year. Not the best attendance year, the best Monday year offer. Except for those cards you know that I was reading from then on. I'm just doing it at the top of my, my head. 80, 84 was down from 83 but a solid, solid year. Then 85 which is the first year of that of WrestleMania '85 showed a drop. We, for the first time, we had an outside booker. Tom Ernesto was hired to book, and he didn't understand every territories uh, have different styles. He didn't get Memphis. He really didn't get Memphis. So it collapsed in '85, and in four weeks, Jerry Jarrett came. came Oh, back in time was still called the Booker, but Jerry Jarrett was booking. Well, '85 was also the year that Jimmy Hart left, which is it's and that was a big that that was a big part of it too, absolutely. And I think one of the reasons that he left was maybe because uh, because of he was you know anytime you change uh, bookers that you top talent thinks about the thing. But you're exactly right. That was the a big part of it. 86 was a heck of a year. 87 was good at too. 88 was was good. Then 89, 90, 91, 92, 93, uh, just cre- creatively, what am I going? 94, the key to start it was Monday Night Memories. And we did other good stuff in 94. 95, was probably the best drawing feud in eight or nine years over a four-month period. The Smoky Mountain 
USWAP did a ton of business. Uh, did good in Memphis, but in Louisville, Nashville, good God. So how, how did the power? How did that? How did that come about between the USWA and Smoky Mountain? Was that because Cornette's promotion was going out of business, or he, I guess he was seizing no. operations? How did that? Was that before? No, no, no. Jimmy and I were friends. Okay, always had been friends uh, since probably 1981, something like that. So we we were friends, and so so we. We talked a lot, and we would trade talent and talk about different things. Well, in 1995, and around June or July, I did Memphis Memories 2, and we did a, a Louisville Legend night. And I, I wanted to do, in the Memphis deal, I wanted to do PG-13. They were over at that point. Oh, it's yes. amazing. And I wanted to go to the next step. And I knew what would do it. And I knew a credible win, and it would be with the rock and roll. Well, they do the TVs on Mondays, and he couldn't let me uh, have them. But no, that, uh, let me let me uh, start, start back. They do th- their main towns on a Saturday night, and Memphis ran Memphis Memories 2 on a Saturday. Louisville ran on a Sunday. They didn't run on Sunday, so I asked Cornette if I could have the rock and roll, and Cornette said, that's my hometown, I said, can I come? I said, yeah, I'll give you a payoff, and I said, I'll have you introduce Lance, and anyway, so spent a lot of time figuring out what to do there, the third match uh, from uh, the, the top and just going in, we just didn't know. We knew it would be a good uh, uh, match, but as we were in my little office there, going over uh, the matches, it was the first time uh, anybody in that match, Rick and Robert, any, uh, by even Cornette, uh, the first time I did it that I've ever done this. I don't know if I've done it after that. I gave them four type long pages of notes. Wow. Very, very detailed. Whoopie helped me different spots of the, the, the finish. So, I mean, that dressing room, those four guys and Cornette had walked in in two as well. And Everybody was just so deal. Well, <clears throat> on the deal was to have PG over with rock and roll healing a little bit, and that's it. I didn't even have have, have dates any more dates on them at all. But the room was right. Everybody could smell money, not just me. Everybody could smell money. So after those guys left the room, I asked Cornette to say, I said, hey, man, I said, do you think, uh, I said, do you do TV? He said, well, yeah, he said, we're changing our TVs to Wednesday. So that worked out, out good for me. And I said, can I have, have rock and roll for about three months, every Monday and Tuesday, a few Saturdays, 
So what do you think? And he's he said, yeah. He said, absolutely. If you work the money, uh, money out, my money deal out with him. He said, I don't have to pay him a whole lot of money, but he said, said yeah. So I went to the dressing room with them, and I said, hey, guys, Cornette just gave me dates from you. I said, here, we're going to change this. I said, the credibility-wise for PG, we we got to have them over the heat afterwards. And so we did a deal with paint and, and just real serious things. So that whole Smoky Mountain year 78 feud makes me look like a genius. It was a fluke because last-minute decision to go the heat and and then uh, then uh, one night at the Coliseum, Robert Gibson came up to me and said, hey, Mark Curtis, Brian Hildebrand, his, his goal, and we had a rock and roll PG match. It had to finish, but had a, had a, a, a rock and roll PG uh, match, but Robert had just came came up and said, Randy, said Brian Hildebrand's dream is to work the Mid-South Coliseum. Said, can he work referee the opening match and he'll do it. Said, he's the mark for this for this town and this building. Said, can can he go out and referee that first match um, and you don't have to pay him? And he said, what do you think? And I said, hell no. And he looked like he's going to punch me. Uh, he said, hell no. I said, how about this? I said, he goes out. It was just a last minute, last minute deal. I, I mean, a hundred percent last minute. I said, what if he goes out and represents your match, the main, the PG against Rock and Roll, and he ends up a heel referee for Smoky Mountain. He causes PG the match and the title, the whole nine uh, yards, and then we'll go uh, from there. And he said, I love it. He'll love it. He'll love it. And so we did that. And the the heat with the people there was just uh, amazing. And the people were so hot at him. And the people knew at the time that I was a guy, I was a promoter, because Eddie had quit coming to the TV and different things. So they knew it, it was me. I just walked to the ring and said, what the hell are you doing, man? And the people came up to another level because you can relate it's a simple stories you can think and we told that story these evil people from smoky mountain wrestling was trying to take our company and our livelihood and the audiences local wrestling they were taking they were trying to take it from us and from the the fans and man did did real good thing. and we almost had Honest to God, I know people tell a story, and I don't know if we've had it since, but in Louisville, Kentucky, we did a heat deal. I got juiced, and, and again, I incorporated my, myself because the people, if it would have been Eddie Marlin, but he wasn't, he wasn't staying home with a sick wife. He couldn't go to town. It might have been better, but they just knew I was the guy. And, and so... It was a big deal when I got juiced. I mean, a big deal. 
they got so we did the deal where the first eight people there at the Louisville Garden rushed to the ring and they were insisting on calling the ambulance. I had to freaking talk my way out. I was like, oh, I got to go kill that son of a bitch. And <laughs> said, I'm not going to Harper. I'm kind of blah, blah, blah. But we're just one of those things that totally worked. But that night, then the cops came downstairs into the, the area we dressed, and they usually don't come downstairs. But I think somebody hollered, they hollered, they're ready, can we talk to you? And I walked up there and we got a problem. So what's the problem? He said, there's about 300 people in the alley at the back door. And some of them have baseball bats and, and said people learning to kill the rocket row. He said, we got to do something. He said, they can't go out that back door. Well, back back, in, the days, the back in the days when you could still draw real heat you know the fans yeah. truly were invested and believed it that, and that was real heat and so what what they suggested the police suggested say hey let's get from the rock and roll let's get the carcass in, in the meantime so we'll take a squad car because nobody's at the front entrance of the building at all because they're waiting to kill the rock and roll and Curtis. They're back there uh, by the door. Said, so we'll sneak the rock and roll out the front in the squad cars. Man. In the squad cars, and then we'll have two police officers take the, or maybe it was one, maybe they were all together. Maybe it was just one car. I, I don't really remember. So the they came out, cops got in uh, to, say, Ricky Morton's car. It might have been Robert Gibson's. I think it was Robert. And got in the car and drove away. You think those fans were going to follow the cops? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not not at all. But that saved the rock and roll. That was a lot of, lot of fun. We ended up involving Cornette. We involved Terry Gordy. We switched Tracy Smothers' heel, and that was so good. Lance, talking about Lance again, he did such great work selling that. And I'm thinking all along, that's what we miss. We well, he miss always Lance brought Russell. credibility. Him and Dave oh, always yeah. brought credibility. It they they you know they, it was the yes they were the hosts of the show, and their their demeanor and how they were and how they carried themselves and the respect that people had, especially in Memphis for them, is what to me is what is what what made the show. And they had they had a great they they mastered the aspect too they could they could get the face over and they could also bring the heat to the heel, and while we're on this uh, topic or discussion, let's uh I definitely want to give uh, props to all four men involved, uh, uh, PG thirteen, JC Ice, Wolfie D, Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson, uh, four awesome awesome legends uh, in this industry and in this business, the territory, and I encourage all the listeners if you've not seen the Rock and Roll Express against PG thirteen. Uh, pull up YouTube, check out some of those matches. Hell, they've had some banger matches at the Mid-South Coliseum. You know, they they feuded across the territory, and those are some really, really great matches. And if you haven't checked those out, then you definitely don't want to miss those. What I would suggest is look for a Night to Remember Louisville Night 
1995. That was, I think, out there somewhere is that whole whole card, and there was a long little dude match, a ten minute ten man best of Memphis match, and and I think we had the fabulous ones and Richard. It was just a tremendous card, but it was the first rock and roll PG match that was very good. So yeah, I'm I'm real. I'm real proud of, of that that deal. But again, the key to that is that it it, it was a kind of fluky thing, and it just evolved. You have to be be able to to sense stuff like that, and it just hit me. Well, this will be good, and we just did it. And then after that, you know, it was it was just it was just booked week to week. Um. And then I'd be talking to Cornell on the phone and say, who do you have? Who can I use this week? Well, this week I can have Terry. Uh, I can send Terry Gordon because we did a couple of text death match. But, but that program, and there's a old YouTube, Smoky Mountain Wrestling versus USWA Wrestling. And there's like, I don't know if you guys seen that. There's I like have, 20 I parts, have, part yes. one, part two. It is just great, 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 great history. Well, so let's fast forward a little bit. So in 1997, the USWA ceased operations. And we want to know, first of all, what were your feelings on that? And did you think that was the end of Memphis wrestling? And let's, 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 let's take that into how Power Pro became, uh, came to existence. Well, I just recently at length, discussed this on, on my show a couple of weeks ago. Just I think it's a good transition to let everybody know that every Monday I do a Power Pro Wrestling watch along. Then on Tuesdays I do Talking Memphis Wrestling. And the Talking Memphis Wrestling show we've been doing a timeline of Memphis Wrestling and and the subject was of nineteen ninety seven in Memphis and, and the fall that eventually led to them, uh, USWA closing the door. I'll make this just a quick Yeah, just quick the highlights. The highlights thing. would be great, yeah. I took a leave of absence because uh, I had to clean myself out, clean myself rehab myself because I lived life uh, like most people did back in those days in the wrestling Business, I lived that life, life like a rock star, the wild, wild west, the, the whole sort of thing. So I didn't go to rehab. I just rehabbed my, myself by taking some time off and and kind of getting away from the people that, that I was riding with and, and that sort of thing. That left the window. Waller kind of was talked into by a guy named Larry Burton that he could come in, he claimed to have Hollywood, real Hollywood experience, and that he could be a general manager, and he could sell the company, blah, blah, and make all our millions of dollars. That was a, a plot all along, and and I just wasn't there. I ended up coming back in five weeks, but he was there. He didn't screw with the booking or something like that, but one time, Jerry Jarrett's, um, quick story, Jerry Jarrett, Sold his part out as all Waller. Waller um, sold his part out to an investor, Mark Selker. It was a big mess, and on the same uh, same day, completely 
Lee, because everybody had bad feelings that was something fishy going on. There was some big time fishy going on. And so Dave made the decision, called me and gave me a notice. And he said, I just don't trust this. And, and he had a lot to lose because he can't, he can't be on a wrestling program that's, that something bad might happen. Right. Uh, it's like his real job is his most of his money came from TV for the, doing the weather. If hey, Randy, uh, if I'm not the, mistaken, Dave, he he was absent at that last taping of USWA, correct? Oh, he had been gone for months. Okay. Okay. For months. Uh, yeah. He. I think. Uh, he and I missed. Uh, we both because after Dave uh, called me, uh, I called Lawler and told him him that, and then I ended up giving my uh, uh, notice. Uh, and uh, and so so January first or eighth was uh, was uh, was the the last the last one that Dave and Corey had. The Lawler ended up in a couple of weeks bringing Michael St. John in, my yeah, friend, yeah, and bringing uh, bringing Lance Russell in uh, as well. Lance didn't understand the heat, didn't understand what was uh, going on, and by October it was gone. It was history. So, uh, so January to like mid September or first of October, uh, and then it ended up closing its doors because. One of the things that happened, they moved the the TV5 live morning show to a midnight show, and that hurt it. Then they canceled it all together. And in April of 1998, here comes Randy Hales and Power Pro Wrestling. Yes. Here is... You know, this is... Kind of not so much of a a sensitive thing and I got, I got to watch it. I don't want to say I knew what was going to happen. I didn't know uh, when it would happen, but I knew that this bringing burden in and bringing a new investor in, I knew the end was going to be sooner than later. Uh, for sure. You I saw the writing on the wall, you know, Memphis wrestling I, was, was on the way out. Yeah. Absolutely. You had a feel and for so, business, and you know it. You know it. You knew it well. Especially in that time period, ninety four, ninety five, ninety six. I was I was hot as far as as, as my stuff was good. I, I had a pulse for the, the audience, and I knew. And this sounds cocky, but I knew Waller, who's a great booker. But Waller was full time for. And doing a lot of little shots for the WWE and Jerry Jarrett, obviously uh, was not involved in doing doing again, and he was so out. So I knew it would drop, you know. Plus, this Larry Burton uh, would be kind of overruling the different bookers. I, I knew it's tough, but here's why I decided to get out because the first thing they did with investor money, everybody got more money, uh, including me, but still. Some here's another life lesson. Sometimes people, if you know something's bad, if it smells bad, looks bad, it probably will be bad. And the first thing people will do 
to get you to do something unethical and bad a lot of times is throw money at you. And so my money was going to come up. Absolutely. But at the same time, I was thinking as a teacher, I'm saying, here I am, the producer of the wrestling show that's had a hell of a run, and a lot of people in that building know me as the guy. They didn't know Jerry Jarrett at that point because new crew and knew that that sort of thing. You were the if face. It's gonna go bad, uh, if it's going to go bad, I'm not going to be here in sync with the ship. See what I'm saying? Yep. I knew it was going bad, and I didn't want it to sink with me. So it went away. And when there was one time Lawler called me and said, man, we're doing horrible. We're doing, doing horrible, this sucker and all, all that. And said, now um, he's he's looking for a new booker and doesn't want it to be anybody. Uh, Burton, have Burton have any uh, things said said, would you talk to the guy? And he he said, said, yeah. And so I'm thinking in my mind, I said, I need, uh, I don't think money will throw him, uh, throw him off. So I asked for $3,000 a week and said yes right away. Then I said, I, I didn't, he was desperate and he knew that it was up during me. And so I knew he would, I figured he'd say yes to the money. And he would have said yes to the second uh, question. Uh, I would have considered going back. Second question was, I need 100% control on everything, and I need to bring Jerry Lawler back. Got to have the key. Oh, no. He, he said, oh, no, we can't do that. And I said, well, I can't do it. So... When the cancellation, I got with the uh, the general manager and vice president of the television station. I got probably a February meeting and, and did the the pitch. And uh, by April, we did the first show and we got uh, we got 154 shows and and three years out of the thing. And you know, I do that Power Pro watch watch along every Monday again talking mental wrestling on Tuesday my Facebook page is search for Randy Hills it's on the Power Pro Wrestling Facebook page it's on the Mental Wrestling Hall of Fame Facebook page it is also uh, live on Twitter at RB Hills on Twitter you can watch it live everything on Twitch at the Randy Hills channel and I'm trying to think and then it's Arkin here YouTube live is goofy it's really goofy because i own the rights to power pro wrestling and i've got copy marks that go marks against me for using power pro stuff on that show and i had to get a new youtube channel so i i don't make it a live show on youtube but it's in the archive so go to youtube.com slash the at symbol and randy hales and especially, I think you would enjoy the Power Pro show. We're, we'll tomorrow night be doing show number 60. Man, it's almost blowing my mind of some of the innovative stuff and some of the talent we had there. Very proud. We're fixing to get into a period of about eight or nine shows that 
there's a little uh, issues with them. We had a couple of slumps, but we had that in all type of period. And I, I, definitely, really I definitely encourage I encourage all the listeners and everyone definitely to check out your stuff. And Power Pro was a awesome, awesome you know federation. You had probably one of the most stacked. Actually, I wouldn't even want your job, Randy, because you had one of the most stacked rosters, and you probably didn't have enough angles and TV time to showcase all your talent. You had the guys from the USWA. You had, you know, your your developmental guys just getting started, like Kurt Angle, um, you know, uh, Prince Albert, who you know, went by Baldo here, Sean Stasiak. You know, those guys on the way up also had some, you know, very, uh, you know, seasoned veterans. You know that had been in the WWF, uh, you know, previously. Um, you know, Coco Beware, uh, King Mabel, Viscera, as he went by, uh, Sir Mo, just you know, a plethora of different, you know, different talent for the WWF. And if people don't know, Power Pro Wrestling was the first WWF developmental territory. And like you, you know, like we had discussed before, you guys had opened in April of 98 and in that was actually one of my favorite years of power pro i'm a big power pro mark you guys did some uh really really big shows that year you did blast off at the dome and one of my personal favorites uh happened on july 4th 1998 uh rumble on the river rumble down, there, on the river. down yeah. there at tom lee park on the mississippi river and i've got a question well, for you, you too on this randy you were you were encyclopedia of memphis wrestling who was the opening match on rumble for the river Christopher Tom Pritchard. Absolutely, and I, I'm I'm impressed. I, I did. I knew you were going to know it, but very impressed that you knew that. And uh, that was a good segue to that because um, we said on the first podcast, uh, you know, we I, I stand by this. Uh, the mayor, my all time all time favorite wrestler, is uh, Mr. Brian Christopher. So it was awesome to see that Rumble on the River opened with uh, him and him and uh, Doctor Tom Pritchard was a great match. And actually, what a lot of people don't know too. The, they were advertising a big show at the Mid-South Coliseum that July 21st where Brian Christopher was going to take on The Rock, Rocky Maivia, for the WWF Intercontinental Championship. Yes. Yes. So oh, I thought that, I thought oh. that was, you know, a big, big moment, you know, big moment uh, right there and all. And Rumble on the River, you were actually, uh, the gimmick of, 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 of the show was, that that Lawler was no longer there, and you were going to crown a new king of Memphis. And Jerry Lawler told you it'd be the biggest mistake of your life, buddy. <laughs> well, I want to explain this so much because it it's good to have a game plan, but also you can't just just be stuck with it. It's, if you have to listen to the response and listen to the crowd and listen to like the PG thing with the rock and roll, I just smelt money in that dressing room that night. Before they ever had the match, before I ever saw the reaction of the match, I just smelt money. Well, same type of uh, thing with Power Pro. It was never, never, ever my, my idea or, or, are in the the plans for me to be the lead heel of the territory. And that's what popped the ratings. That's what popped the first Monday show. That's what popped the, as you said, the rumble on the river. And it was all in the accident. I brought Austin Idol in the very first week, had him scheduled the second week, 
he no showed. We go uh, out there, and I told as we go, I go out to explain that the main event that I wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, that I had advertised wasn't going to happen. And I told Waller as I was going out the door, I said, "Hey, I said, so I'm going to make this announcement." I said, "You just come out with me, and after I." I speak, you you react. That's all I said to him. Certainly trust him and know that he knows the pulse of the people. So he basically went out there and said, Randy, why aren't your eyes so red? And I said, well, you know why they're... I said, come on, King, you know why they're red. And then he, he said, well, the reason, tell the people... I said, no, I'm not going to tell the people what am I... I said, it was nothing illegal, people, and they kind of laughed. <laughs> and then then he, he said, Randy Hill had to change this entire television program up uh, because Austin Idol was scheduled to be a main event. It's been advertised all week long, and now it's not, uh, not here. And Randy... Said I'm more said said I'm prop to him. Randy stayed up all night long and and made sure that we'd have a show today. But said I hate to say, I told you so, Randy Hill. But I told you so. Said Randy Hill didn't listen to me. He brought Otto in. I told people this. I told people uh, this and said, Randy, this is all on you. And then. The people started booing me. It was never talked about. We're going with Lawler and Randy. We never doing a live interview, and so Lawler threw it back to me. I said, "You know what? I'm sick of. You've been the big shot around here a long time, and bullying people and get them uh, getting your own way. But I am the owner." the founder, the president of Power Pro Wrestling, and you're not going to bully me, Jerry Lawler. I can promise you that. And that started my hill turn. But that's two people, me, who is the, the power to change anything I wanted to change. Lawler pretty much, too, you know, with his experience, he felt the people. And he was trying to be funny. I took it more. When I kind of healed back on him, he fired back up on me and that led into the blasting blast off in the dome and that led in the, the highest rated power pro show ever you want to guess what it was uh what what what, what year what year did it transpire in 98 uh you said you said 98 yeah um like a house show at the Coliseum, or a weekly television no, show, or what are the shows you promoted? Weekly, we're talking, we're talking TV ratings, the highest rated Power Pro television show ever. What was the main event? It was August ninety-eight. It didn't involve you and Cornette, did it? No, he didn't come to nineteen ninety-nine. It didn't involve me. Okay, no, you, uh, you you got me, Professor. See, it was 
Jerry the King Lawler and Stacy the Cat Carter with Stacy Carter's hair at stake versus Randy Hills, Billy Travis with Randy Hills' hair at stake. So my hair was shaved and it was plugged, plugged the stipulation from the start of the TV because Waller and me were working. Stacy was getting the absolute over and oh, we didn't advertise uh, this in, in advance but but we went uh, went ahead and and just uh, uh, did the thing and it was the the August I'm looking at notes the August 1998 uh, television and I've got to congratulate you for some of that work you did too because. Um, I've seen some of the interactions and, and stuff between you and Stacy, and you definitely sold a lot of those bumps. Like, who trained you to bump, Randy? You did you did pretty good. Just natural. Just came with it. The August 15th, 1998 show started with me where I threw that stipulation out. Then we went with Bulldog Reigns and Heinrich Von Keller against Ashley Hodgson and Bill Dundee. Then the Randy Hills, Stacy Lawler segment where they ex, uh, they accepted the match, even though Waller said no, said I'll do it a single match, said Stacy, this Randy Hills is evil, blah, blah, blah. So we set it up in the first segment of the show. Then, a uh, very good situation, Brandon Baxter came out for an interview. As a swerve, I fired Brandon Baxter. Then we went with a three-way match straight Spellbinder against Jerry King against Kid Wicked and a Young Guns match. Lance Jade against Hudson. Uh, we had a build on the interview, and then we did the Lawler and Stacy against Billy and me. I got my head shaved. We went off the air with the head being shaved, and the finish with that thing. <laughs> I went back and stole a Lawler deal that I watched in 1973. He was a heel with Jim. White, no show TV. They had a tag team title match. Baller and White booked against uh, either Tojo and Jerry Jarrett or Fargo and Jerry Jarrett. Don't remember which. But a fan, a woman came to ringside dressed to her autograph. It was Waller dressed in a dress, plumbed Jarrett and got heat there, and that drew a lot of money. So so when that finished, Brandon, I had fired earlier as a ploy, came back, and we did a false finish where he nailed Lawler with that loaded purse, and they got a one-two, and then a, a quick save, whatever. Smiles. It was a, a pay-per-view type of finish type of thing. And, and, and it's funny, that, that deal with Lawler always, he would ask me, even when he owned have the company, the USWA, and uh, I was the booker. He would come to me and said, "What do you, oh, well, said, what do you want out of this match, and and what are you doing? What do you want, want me back in next week?" So I would I would say, "Well, whether I want you over, and then so and so hit the ring for heat, or whatever the case." With Waller, I would just say the direction we were going, never a specific finish. 
So he asked that day, uh, he said, what are you doing for the finish? And I said, well, I guess you know that I'm not shaving Stacy's hair without her permission. <laughs> he laughed. He laughed. And I said, I got one spot, a heat spot with, with, oh, with Brandon. Uh, as a false finish and I said just whatever you want to do he said no he said you're the guy getting his head shaved he said you tell me the fish and I figured he'd say that I knew him pretty well my hair at stake and and the thing was clicking and it was getting good numbers and and it was totally working Uh, so I did have a finish in mind and that's probably The favorite Power Pro shows of all time, the three that I would list every time, and I changed my mind on the order, I would say the very first Power Pro show, it was an excellent show, and it got us the ball running. The people would say it was kind of old school with new twists. It wasn't Memphis Wrestling, but it was faster-paced. It was a TV show that was not an infomercial show. for weekly matches, it was just different. Uh, I would say the first show, I would say the Rumble on the River, and I would say that August the 15th, 1998 show. That's my favorite three shows. Awesome. All, 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 all definitely great shows. Um, uh, Randy, you're one of these guests. We could sit here and talk, you know, six hours to you and, you know, have you back probably four or five times, and we still wouldn't, you know, cover cover everything. So we're just going to jump around a little bit. Um, want to ask you some, you know, different different stuff and different points for we, for we, you know, wrap it up and everything. I've I've always wondered something. I want to move forward to 1999. Uh, it was Redbirds Rampage at the Tim McCarver Stadium. They were going to have the baseball that had the wrestling following the baseball. It was a card uh, billed as WWF versus Power Pro, and something that was 20 years in the making. It was the the reuniting of the fabulous Freebirds, not Michael P.S. Haynes and, and Jimmy Jam Jam Garvin, but actually Michael P.S. Hayes and Terry Bam Bam Gordy. Um, how did that go over? Did that did that live expectations? I mean, just talk to us about that particular, you know, the the Freebirds getting together, getting back together for that card because on paper that's huge. Well, I can tell you at the time that. My idea, because Brandon Baxter grew up in Texas and loved, loved Michael Hayes. I asked Jim Cornette, who was working in the WWE or WWF at the time, office at the time, if I could have some dates because I wanted to incorporate Brandon and Michael together in my story, which was Baldo and me and my syndicate and everything involved. Michael had done a great job with power, or one of the first powerful champions, or maybe champion number number two. He was just great. So he did us a lot of favors, and the WWF was, was uh, would send them down, take care of his flights, take care of his money, everything. They were just helping us out. They, they were just extremely valuable to us. But Michael suggested the deal about Terry Gordy just because it was important to him. And Terry at that point was not the Terry Gordy. He's had health issues and different 
problems, so it wasn't the Terry Gordy. I'm not mistaken, he had he'd got injured in uh, Japan. Yes, yes, a terrible, terrible situation. He had issues and demons and all kinds of uh, things. I think the people wanted to see it, and I think that Michael covered the, the match as much as could. We just didn't get, and I knew we didn't get, the, we didn't, weren't getting the Terry Doherty uh, that from his prime. I, I knew that. It was a, a good thing. You know, every everything we did that night, we had had uh, had Baldo, uh, obviously Prince Albert. We had Mark Henry. We just had had a fun. We had Nicole Bass came in in the Brandon program and with Derek. And, you know, just the whole deal just worked. And that was uh that was in 1999, right? Probably, I would guess, in in April or May of 1999. Correct? I, I, I believe it was. I've got the I've got the year down. I don't have the exact uh, month or whatever. There's so much power power pro stuff that that I love, um, you know, and have went over and all. But I don't have that particular month. Uh, just the year on that. Um, April May. I'm pretty. I'm sure. pretty. Yeah. Confident in saying that. Yeah, that was. Uh, a great deal, but to answer your question, it was, it was the Michael thing. It wasn't pushed as the main event of the night. Uh, the week before, we had had Terry do a run-in uh, with Michael and a promo with Michael, but his son, Gordy's son, Ray Gordy, had a match and broke his leg during a TV match with Alan Steele, which was probably the worst Power Pro match because the dude broke his leg during the middle of that and tried to get it out and go. And it, I finally sent the Hills in and, and Terry and Michael in uh, for the save, and that wasn't the plan. But there's so, a there's live so, TV, buddy. Absolutely, there's so much more I want to ask you about. I know Willie B does does too, but you know due to time constraints and all, I want to bring up uh, the last thing that I want to talk to you about is. Okay, in 1999, Terry Golden started KEW, which was Kick-Ass Wrestling. It later evolved in, uh, you know, in 2000 to MCW. It ran to about 2001. So, was this direct? Was was this a direct uh, competition with Power Pro? I also understand that that uh, that MCW had been had been awarded the WWF developmental contract too. Did you guys end up losing that? Was it almost like a Overflow because you had too much talent, or was that direct competition, or how did Power Pro and MCW, you know, fit in? Because you also had the invasion angles where you know MCW, you know, you could turn on Power Pro and MCW was invading, um, you know, uh, Power Pro. So we're jumping out. We're jumping a year between the the start of of uh, the MCW kick KAW changing to. Memphis Championship Wrestling. So I'll make a statement here, and I'm telling you right now, this is a sensitive, sensitive deal that a lot of bad feelings going on that everybody's made up. I will make a statement, and I will make I will not answer. I, this is one subject I normally don't talk about. I'm not going to say much, but there was a situation where on a television, uh, a wrestler said uh, something bad about Jerry Lawler. I fired the wrestler. However, Lawler had been off TV because he had run for Memphis uh, mayor and the television station wouldn't allow me, and I fought with him, and it just wouldn't work. 
and Lawler was kind of hot at that type of thing. However, when that interview happened, I should have gone right to Lawler's house, did not. Um, it was just a bad situation. Uh, Lawler then being so valuable in the WWE and Terry Golden smart enough to reach after Lawler, reach out to Lawler, and uh, Lawler got MCW, the developmental guy. So they moved their TV to 11 o'clock on Saturday morning, and um, because of the power of TV5 and the fact that we were in the biggest slump that we had because we lost our uh, main star and and we had lost our w, uh, WF contract, not right away. Right away, WF uh, requested Jim Cornette take over uh, the book because they, uh, the, the just a situation that had happened on my watch. So Waller was had bad things said about him on my watch. Cornette took over the book, and that was a dark period because Cornette was a great booker in Smoky Mountain, a great booker. And OVW, I mean, great. He is brilliant. Friend of mine, absolutely brilliant. I didn't like the stuff he did in Power Pro. He tried to make it OVW light. I just didn't like it at all. Dave Brown didn't like it. Corey McLean didn't like it. And it was the worst ratings we uh, we we ever uh, had. Finally, Lawler realized uh, the the enemy you know is better than the enemy you don't. No, and he wouldn't happen happy with uh, his dealings with Memphis Championship Wrestling or Championship Wrestling for Memphis or whatever it was called back then. I think MC David Memphis Championship Wrestling. Right. So he gave me a call, and so for a short period of time, about three months, uh, or maybe longer than that, both companies worked together, and both companies uh, had developmental deals and so it worked out pretty good and we had daniel bryan among others as the daniel bryan was the american dragon and i yep, think yep. we we did some good stuff as well then law was uh, quit the wwf then the wwf gave me the thing say say don't use lawler on tv or we're pulling the deal. Lawler even told me, he said, I don't want you to lose your deal because that's a big part of your money. I said, I've lost you once before for the mayor's race and look what happened. I said, no, I'm just going to tell, I said, I can get a crew together. I said, we'll go there. But the contract was coming out. But anyway, I chose Lawler over the WWF is what happened. Gotcha. gotcha. So, okay. And that, 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 says, the, that says a lot about you, Randy, and your character. And that's why, that's why Jerry Lawler's always been a Randy Hills guy, you know? That that is uh That's why when he needed wait. somebody to run his Hall of Fame bar and restaurant, who did he call? He he dug out that oh. phone, took it out, dialed the number, Randy Hales needs you, brother. Yeah, and he knew at that point life after wrestling uh for me life after wrestling for me, I was in the a partner in two tiny drive ins and he knew I had restaurants. I never had bar. I had bar experience, but the wrong kind of bar experience, like going in them and drinking. But back in the old days, those, yeah, uh, I didn't have experience running the bar. But yeah, Waller and I are. Oh, uh, he he gave me my first full time. Eddie Marlin was my gave me my first break, but my first full time job in 
in wrestling was in 1986, and Lawler made me his assistant in 1986, and and nothing would have happened uh, if it wasn't for that break in 1986. Even though I I was a good number two guy, I wasn't a number good number one guy in '89. It's funny by 1994, I was the right guy, without a doubt. Well, I'll tell and you I, what. It's uh, I, fast forward to 2023, and you're number one. You're a number one guy with Mayor McCall and Willie B on Wrestling right. Talk with Mayor McCall. You're 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 okay with us, Randy Hales, and I just want to I take might a, be okay with you, but I was not your first <laughs> damn guest. Oh, no. I almost went on strike, man. Man, downtown good looking freaking Bruno was your first guest, and now I'm a stinking. Afterthought is what well, happened. No, actually, 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 since since you want to bring that up, I'll I'll, I'll give you a feel good moment or whatever though. Randy, you're like a damn encyclopedia of wrestling. You're Memphis, you're Mister Memphis Wrestling. There's nothing you hadn't done or been a part of. And hell, I needed a little time to prepare for you because I remember watching you on Hannibal and you you questioned Hannibal about his knowledge of Memphis wrestling. And I damn near sure, sure told Willie B that that was not going to be uh, him and I on this show. That Randy's not going to bust you, us could, out. Could, let me ask you this. So I forgot about that interview. Could you tell that made me mad, that interview? I don't know if it quite made made you mad or whatever, but I oh, think I that, was, I was. You could tell that you were irritated. Serious. You could tell that you were irritated. But I, I actually did I tell was, Willie B this. I told I told Willie B that uh, I said he definitely let Hannibal, you know, he put Hannibal on the spot. He told him that, you know, he pointed out his lack of uh, lack of wrestling knowledge. And Ran- and Randy did not like it when Hannibal come to town to interview Bill Dundee for four hours and did not call Randy up. So <laughs> we made sure when we got this podcast together, we're going to make a phone call to Mr. Randy Hales. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, this is what bothered me about Hannibal is that I didn't care uh, at the time not not doing a, a interview. That wasn't the heat. He just needed somebody that he didn't do his research, and I would have been one of the many people he could have. He called me. He got my number from Jerry Jarrett. And he had done a shoot interview with Jerry Jarrett and paid him a lot of money. And after around the time Eddie Marlin passed away in 2019, what got me the maddest was he thought about Eddie Marlin. Ed didn't know a damn thing about it. Didn't know a damn thing. Nothing. Uh, And... Just that that just irritated the hell out of me, man. Well, for just, one, we we really res- we love you, Randy. We respect you, and you're you know you're doing the great thing about you know keeping Memphis wrestling and the memories alive. And we certainly wouldn't want to disrespect you by being unprepared. So you know what what do you, how do you feel about how do you feel about doing this podcast? Did, did we did we prepare and do our research? Oh, I knew twenty five seconds in that we were okay, and I knew just through our our text mess- messages and the maybe one maybe two phone calls we had before i was i was not worried about this interview i, I knew see you have to have some kind of knowledge no you don't have the dates i i do you don't have the hands-on no, you weren't in the town we're fans we have our it's, memories that uh, our core memories is, is especially from childhood that's 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 where this comes from our love of it we're we're fans we're yes fans. and that that's all over it so no i had i had i was teasing about having having bruno that's a marquee wwf <laughs> name you know i was teasing about that however about being uh, being uh, nervous or or no no stress at all about this going in I, I knew it would be 
will be be good because you know I, I knew that on the get your thoughts kind of what you guys like about Memphis wrestling, but I can fill in the the stories that there's no way because some of the years you weren't even that gun board. That still makes yes. me hot. We hadn't arrived at ringside yet. <laughs> no, in a literal sense of imagination. So no, I think this podcast is a great thing, and it's a alternative to my shows. And if you have any any guests, and you know the Bruno show, I think it's already dropped, and and anything else you have playing. But I think people because I have. I have uh, one guy on my Tuesday night show, Pat Trammell, is just a wrestling fan. A guy named Chris Ellis is a wrestling fan, and we got me and and Michael St. John with hands-on experience. I, I think the fans' viewpoint and what they like is very, very important. Here's the thing that I don't like about fans that you guys are not doing. You didn't come, come across. You're telling memories, but you are not out there just speculating or saying saying a false narrative sometimes with it's like i wouldn't even call that what's that idiot's name i got hannibal that he's a complete blooming idiot with no brains at all he is a jackass i don't know if you can cuss on this program but i just did it you can bleep it if you have to believe it he's a jackass man i'm getting hot just thinking about it is somebody like that obviously with some money that pays didn't pay me any, but he pays people a lot of money, and he has no clue about the history of this business. He's doing this thing to get himself over the the stuff he does to get himself over, and and he's just that sort of thing makes me hot. I started as a wrestling fan at ten years old. My fondest memories we we spent twenty minutes talking about nineteen seventy four. I wasn't announcing yet. I was just a wrestling fan. My fondest memories is as a wrestling fan. I, my, some of my best friends are wrestling fans. I love it. Absolutely love it. Now, you get me on current wrestling, and especially uh, current Memphis wrestling, you get a whole different ball like for me. I'll switch amen. heel. I'll switch heel quickly. But we don't need to do that today. No. However, I just love wrestling, wrestling fans, and you uh, you guys again, if you know who's coming up down the lines, uh, let me know who it is, and I'll, I'll, this will be a part of my podcast listenership. How often are you going to put out a new show? I would say probably once every, every, every about two weeks or whatever. Actually, you know, this is pre recorded, and you know, but actually tomorrow I'm going to drop, uh, we are going to drop, uh, uh, Downtown Bruno Part Two, and I was probably going to put this out in about two more weeks or whatever. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to set the bar and expectation that we're releasing this, uh, a show like every week. I mean, uh, Willie B and I, you know, we're we're marks or whatever. This is not a full time job by any means. This is a pure, uh, you know, love and passion, you know, for the business project, and we work full time. So, you know, we we have other endeavors that we partake in. So I would say around every every two weeks. Well, or so. and, and to your point, Randy, we also want to be prepared. We don't want to. We, we will not do a show that we're not prepared for. Absolutely not. It's as simple okay. as that. We, we have too much respect for the business and too much respect for the for men like you that will come on and, and share their stories and spend time with us, and we never want to come, never want to be disrespectful. So. We're not, we're not you here, know, here's, shoving, shoving here's this out. Here's my like, advice. Here's my advice real quick, and I've been guilty of not doing this, but I will give you a good uh, set of advice. Let your programs breathe. Let them breathe. 
sometimes booking wise and a lot of wrestling companies AEW who I love and and I like Tony Khan uh, and and the big boys uh, AEW and WWE you know you don't hear much negative from me about uh, at all but with AEW sometimes they just go from one thing and another and don't let it breathe and that's what I'm asking you guys the Bruno two-part interview is good now is this going to be Certainly, uh, you have the option to edit this, this and make it two parts. Is this a one part or a two part? This will probably just go ahead, just go ahead and be a be a be a one part or whatever. Though, to go ahead and get get it out there and let the let the people you know hear um, hear everything. Bruno. Last time was just a little bit different because it was a different format. Because Bruno was actually probably one and could possibly be our only ever in studio guest. So that's kind of how that format unfolded, but. You know the rest of the rest of the podcast will probably be conducted with, you know, Willie B and I in studio and and having you know various phone calls with, you know, different guests and such. So, I wish we could have figured out some kind of, kind of thing, a Zoom meeting or a, a video meeting. But you said that kind of internet issues there, that sort of thing. I would prefer because you can get even more animated and that sort of thing if they can see the video if i could have seen you guys but this has been a tremendous i, th- I think i was uh say this i i heard it said that uh bruno put you over and uh said that in the top three uh of of any show top i four. think top four of any podcast he ever uh, did and, and again, I am biased toward my own programs. I hosted, I created the whole nine uh, yards, but I've done other stuff. I did um, uh, did a thing in the, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. They paid me a lot of money to do a uh, shoot audio interview. This is this is the taking me out of the uh, equation. I would say. Uh, this would be my second favorite interview. Jim Cornette and I did an interview on his his podcast one time, uh, and uh, so that was him and I are friends, and and we talked about his run in Power Pro and everything we talked about. So that's my first favorite one. My second favorite, I've done probably fifty, maybe a hundred. I bet I've done more than Bruno has. I can guarantee you. But anyway, this is number two for me. Thank you. That is very high praise, Randy. I really don't know even know what to say right now. I, I feel speechless, and I feel, I feel just overwhelmed with you know a, a feeling of joy and being so blessed, and I, I don't know what to say. And I, I so appreciate you saying that. And um, you're you're one of my favorite wrestling personalities of all time. Um, I was walking down Bill Street right before Lawler's uh, opened on Bill Street. Uh, me and a friend are walking around. You're down there. You took time. You sat with us about 30 minutes, talked wrestling. Very humble, very friendly. Fast forward. This was after we opened? No, this was this was a couple weeks before y'all opened. Things were oh, getting ready at the restaurant. And, you know, I'm just kind of walking around Bill Street one night, and you and I meet. I'm with a buddy, and you and I meet up. Uh, fast forward to that. Um, come back when the restaurant's open, um, and you sit there with uh, me and – you know, me and another guest and talk wrestling. Um, it's actually a picture on Facebook that goes around that I have of me and you that a lot of people, you know, get a kick of. Really good picture. And I just want to say thank you for always being who you are and being humble. And thank you so much for the high respect and uh, compliments. And 
I, I, I love you, brother, and I, I love what you do, and I'm so honored that, that you would come and give us a chance to be on our podcast. Now, I'm making a sacrifice because, you know, I get up about 4 o'clock every morning, go to bed usually. I'm getting old. I'm 61 years old. I go to bed usually between um, – try to, especially on Sunday. I don't do it on Monday and Tuesday because I have shows, but I try to go to bed at 7 o'clock at night. And if this thing didn't click, this interview wouldn't be this long because this is cutting in a, to an hour of my sleep. <laughs> but I enjoyed it so much. You guys did a great job, and I wish you a heck of a, heck of a lot of luck in the future. I don't think you need it. I think you'll be prepared. And I'm a prep guy, whether it's booking or, or laying out my shows. I am a I'm go over the top on prepping for stuff. And I can tell you guys knew what what was happening what to ask and and uh let it in conversational uh style not reporter style not kind of you weren't coming at me with hard stuff you when i uh, you didn't directly ask me about you directly asked but you didn't mention names about uh, the situation that led to me losing the wwe deal and you didn't follow up on it with hard questions that would probably ended up making me mad because I said I don't want to make a, I'll make a statement and that's it and you respected that so that's how you'll continue to get good guests if, if you go out there and and uh, and broach something that will make the guests uncomfortable you know that it's common sense and it works for me too if I make somebody uncomfortable they won't want to do it again yeah, that's that's never going to be our our. That's not who we are. We're not. That's that's just not who we are. We're not trying to play a game of gotcha with anyone or or, or bring up any any sore subjects. It's you know in the in the wrestling business especially. You, you we 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 were you know talk about the MCW angle. We were legitimately just curious how that went down. And truthfully, we didn't. We had no idea there was there was any heat. We probably wouldn't have asked you about that had we had we known that. So, um, but thank no, you. No, it it, it was it was a. A major beat, a major deal, major blow to Power, Power Pro, and cost uh, cost the WWE deal the, the first time. It, it's one of the low points of of Power Pro, uh, but there's a way to broach it and a way not, and the way you broached it was perfect. Perfect, no heat at all with me. Thank you, thank you, sir. Thank you. I appreciate the time tonight. I know. We've, Go longer than you wanted to, but I tend to ramble on a little. Oh, we good. You know what? We would love to have you back sometime in the future. I'll be glad to. Anytime you, you just give me a call. Thank you. All sir. right, man. You have a great Enjoy night. Enjoy it, both. Both of you have a great night. Thank, Thank you, Randy. Sir.